guys, welcome to Rankin' Vile, the podcast where we are ranking every single horror movie ever made, from best to worst. And this is Ryan. And this is Quincy. How's it going, Quincy? How's your week going? Uh, I live in the southeast, so I am covered in snow, which uh-huh. is not a thing that... Okay, so I am not here for any of these, well, call me when you get real snow, like, above the Mason-Dixon bullshit. Don't mm-hmm. care. It's snowy here. I, I'm not used to it. I don't like driving in it. I got stuck in a driveway the other day. Uh, oh, no. That's the it worst. It sucks. <laughs> but, yeah, that's what I'm doing is just staying inside and being warm. Yeah. Honestly, like, there's... So, I mean, having grown up in the suburbs of Chicago, like, there's this really, really stupid thing that Midwesterners do, especially dudes. And it's dudes. It's dudes. Who... I, you know, I went to high school with guys who would show up to school in, like, basketball shorts and flip-flops. And it's, meanwhile, it's, like, negative 20 outside, and there's, like, a foot of snow, and they're like, yeah, whatever, bro, like, I don't give a fuck. I love going outside in the freezing Arctic chill. And it's like, nobody thinks you're cool because you're cold. Like, this does nothing for anybody but you. Like, there's... I don't know. I, I get really annoyed when people try to pull rank and they're like, you call that snow? I live at the ice base from the thing. And it's like, that's <laughs> not impressive. You, your body being cold is not, does not make you interesting. It's also annoying because jackets are objectionably the coolest article of clothing. <laughs> oh, that's... See, that's my, that's my beef with living in California is that it... I want to wear more layers and usually I just kind of can't. Although... Uh, where I am right now, like, it's gotten, it's that kind of cold that's, like, just cardigan weather and nothing else, so I'm just, like, taking crumbs from other nature at this point. Like, thank you for the chill. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So what, uh, what ghoul shit have you been consuming or engaging in this week? So, I, I think this is bound to happen. Um, mm-hmm. most of the week I consume very wholesome shit because we watch <laughs> such ghoulish movies, uh, except yeah. I have been reading uh, Slavoj Zizek, and that's pretty ghoulish because he's just talking about late stage capitalism and how we're all fucked. God damn that guy! Going that bad. guy look—he looks cursed. Does Slavoj Zizek like he? There's like an Alan Moore quality to the eyes where he looks like an old tree that's learned truths he can't unlearn. That's what happens when you grow up in the Eastern Bloc, and then you become a philosopher who's also interested in um, quantum physics. You know what? I, I feel like we live in a timeline where for some reason, and, and like, don't get me wrong, Slavoj Zizek is, has a lot of shit that is bizarre and, and that I hate, but I don't understand why Jordan Peterson was the one that caught the big cog with chuds and not Slavoj Zizek. Like... We could have gone with the Alan Moore of philosophy, and we went with this brain-dead guy who only eats meat. Like, I don't... It's a bummer. So what have you been imbibing lately? I just finished season two of The Terror. Have you seen The Terror? I haven't, but I saw that there's a season about Japanese ghosts, so I want to get into it. Tell me more. Fuck. All right, so season... So the first season revolves around a doomed British expedition uh, trying to find the Northern Passage, and it's, like, a bunch of British dudes on uh, two uh, two ships, the Erebus and the Terror. Which, by the way, side note, you're naming that ship the Terror before sailing up into the Arctic? You're punching your own fucking ticket, bud. <laughs> um, 
Like you're just you're begging you're begging the fates to fuck with you. Do they, they ever to... say something like, "Oh no, whatever are we gonna do with the terror?" And then everyone looks at the screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, title drop, like just a record scratch, and everybody, yeah, uncomfortably stares at like spikes the camera for five seconds. <laughs> um, and so that you know, it's like the the boat gets stranded in like the ocean, fucking freezes, and they're stranded, and then they all you know. Uh, and season two, and like season one is amazing. Don't get me wrong. But season two revolves around uh, a, a Japanese internment camp um, during World War II. And there's a ghost and babies and horrible secrets coming to light. And uh, it's incredible to watch a show that acknowledges like, hey, like it takes place at an internment camp. And so many of the shots just show a huge American flag flapping over the top of all of this as if to say, like, hey, motherfuckers, this is your country. This happened here, and you, like, your country did this. Um, and it's just fucking outstanding. Like, there's there's some kind of magic on that show. Awesome. Also, George Takei is there, which is also jarring to hear George Takei speak in accented Japanese English, and not even, he, although... It is great. He does say, oh my, at one point, but not in the George Decay voice. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty outstanding. So let's talk about the movie we're doing for this week. Uh, this week we are doing a 2020s um, horror comedy splatter sentai classic, Psycho Gorman. Psycho Gorman. Now, I had very low expectations because it's directed and written by Stephen Kostansky, and listeners of the show might be familiar with him because he worked on Father's Day, which is one of the lowest Whoa. rated movies on our list. Holy shit, that guy did Father's Day? He was part of the crew that did Father's Day. Now, Father's Day is one of those movies that is sort of an exquisite corpse. Um, a bunch <laughs> of different directors worked on it yeah. um, as, as kind of like a, their buds. There are... Um, five directors credited with for directing Father's Day. Uh, I'm just going to go on record and say that's too many directors for a movie. That, that's more than you want. Yeah, more than you want or more than you need. <laughs> yeah, and and so so that guy did he so he he was one of the five directors of Father's Day. One of the five directors of Father's Day, but also went on to direct The Void. So you know maybe Ooh. that's just the. The weird, humble beginning. <laughs> I mean, you know, those first couple of Fleetwood Mac, uh, Mac albums were just like British pub rock, and then they eventually figured their shit out when they got Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham. So maybe this was like Psycho Gorman, like maybe The Void was him coming into his own, and then Psycho Gorman is his rumors. Um, this <laughs> Psycho movie... Gorman is the rumors of splatter comedy. <laughs> Man, this movie, so the incredible thing about this movie uh is that so it's a, it's it's a horror comedy that there's a certain delight that I get from watching a thing. Now, it's like Meet the Feebles, right? Where it's uh it takes things you're familiar with like Muppets. Uh no, sorry. I don't mean to cast aspersions on the Jim Henson company. Those are not Muppets in Meet the Feebles. Those are those are puppets. Uh but, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Psycho Gorman sort of does the same thing of like taking these formats where it's like sort of Sentai show and kind of Harry and the Hendersons style, you know, little kid befriends large monster. Kids on and bikes. Yeah. And just pumping it full of gore and just horrible, mean spirited humor. What I especially uh, like about Psycho Gorman is how deeply 
influenced by He-Man it is? Oh, I don't know from He-Man. I've never really I've never really consumed He-Man media. How tell me about this. So He-Man is all about a muscular buff uh you know, loincloth warrior that's got a power sword and mm-hmm. it's kind of science fiction and he fights a man named Skeletor who's a literal skeleton with a muscle body and he has a magical staff and a sword and they ride giant cats and there are villains like Trapjaw who's got a bear trap for a jaw <laughs> nice. and uh, Stinkor who is a skunk man. Stinkor! And Moss Man who is a man made of moss and so it's not just a clever name beast man who is a beast is also a man. <laughs> what you know, i really God... like about he-man is it was just an excuse to sell the masters of the universe action figure line oh yeah i and mean 80s 80s cartoons were largely just about moving some fucking units <laughs> and it was only it was only in the past year that i a person who has owned he-man toys since their first christmas Mm-hmm. realized that they just recycled the molds. So Stinkor and Merman are the exact same mold with different paint <laughs> jobs. Also, Stinkor <laughs> was one of many of my favorite genre of uh, children's toys, smelly toys. Toys that are purposely made to smell bad when you take them out of the package. See, now I'm just picturing Stinkor the Skunk Man, like, subtweeting the other guy and yeah, doing the, like, scratches chin emoji with, like, mm, looks like somebody's been ripping me off. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, Stinkor the Skunk Man is an American original. Honestly, I feel like I, I, I know about He-Man largely through, like, cultural osmosis and seeing the uh, Four Non-Blondes What's Going On thing with he-man and skeletor i love that skeletor by the way is a yoked skeleton he's a large buff skeleton and the show itself is like yeah the skeleton is super ripped what do you want (laughs) well the the skeletor lore is he didn't used to be a skeleton he was a normal (laughs) wizard and his face got melted off so he's like now I'm Skeletor. <laughs> you know, doesn't that make him the hero for overcoming that and being like, you know, just because I'm a skeleton man doesn't mean I need to die. And he's just, you know, he's still having a go of it and moving forward. There's also um, the cult favorite. The Boba Fett of He-Man is Scareglow, who Scare-Glow. on his action, he, he's a glow-in-the-dark skeleton with a glaive and a purple cape. What a um, fine thing to be. His package says Skeletor's ghost but (laughs) the way grammar works it's skeletor apostrophe s so he's either skeletor's ghost henchman like skeletor has a ghost on the payroll or (laughs) he's the literal skeleton ghost of the skeleton man because all he men all masters of the universe figures are the same body and a different head yeah they just mass produce the bodies in different color plastic and pop the heads on. Even to the fact that there's a figure called Faker, who is He-Man, but just blue. <laughs> and they stuck a sticker on his chest. It's like, he's a robot. <laughs> Don't, yeah, except no substitutes. You you know that it's the robot because it's fucking blue. Honestly, like, Psycho Gorman, so much of the action of this, it's like a very 
clever and very cruel child is like mashing action figures up against other action figures and i am fucking here for it it certainly is it takes all of the 1980s no nan uh fake muscle man uh fantasy and action movies mm-hmm. and sword just, and sandal movies yeah sword and sandal movies and then turns up the gore a thousand percent yeah so let's jump into it the so we we open with uh, a brother and sister who are both kids their names are mimi and luke and, and mimi is jose hannah who plays mimi is like phenomenal this kid is a powerhouse like i I feel like with movies, sometimes you get Moppets that you know that they're kind of putting it on. Like, uh, the movie Santa with Muscles, you get the little, you know, you get Emma Stone playing the kid, and she's like, please, mister, and you're like, fuck off, kid. You're like, you're perfectly capable of being precocious. Just be precocious. And Mimi in this movie uh, carries this movie, I think. Like, and, and not that it needed carrying, but she is a weird little kid. And there's a specific kind of weird little kid that I love to see in movies who's just, like, this little hobgoblin who is, like, capricious and weird and has lots of weird rules and is kind of cruel, but doing her best. Uh, And her brother, Luke, is kind of just a putz. Yeah. So they're... Are they twins, or are they just very similar in age? I'm going to keep it 100 with you. I could not figure out which of them was the older one. But the thing is that she bullies the shit out of Luke, which would immediately make you think, oh, she must be the older one. But also, I bullied my older brother when we were kids. So, you know, I, I kind of, which is against the natural order of things. And I acknowledge this. Like an older brother, I once made my brother uh, cry because I made him think that his life was the Truman Show. <laughs> And would like speak into fake microphones in my shirt and plant. I, it, it was, it was, it was. So she, I assume, is younger than him. But I also, you know, you know what? They're twins. Let's just say that they're twins. Um, and they have a game called Crazy Ball. And a game that is so central to this plot, the name of the production company is Crazy Ball. Oh my god, it is Crazy Ball. That's fantastic. Um, also, it was distributed by RLJE Films, which, when I see that pop up, I know I'm in for a good time. Yeah, they're, they consistently put out really quality movies. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like seeing the Canon logo for me. Uh, but So Crazy Ball is basically sort of Calvin Ball, where it's just like sort of bizarre, convoluted rules where they're standing like 10 feet apart and they, they both have large rubber balls that uh, they they have to throw at each other and do jumping jacks and spin around. And there's a thing called the five-point butt bonus, where if you hit the other person in the butt with a ball, you get five points, which I think is important. Yeah. Also, um, the best characterization, the movie starts with them facing off about to throw their crazy balls. And Mimi has the the, like, dirt, mud, like, wiped under her eyes... As like, you know, a warrior. And then they turn to Luke and he's drawn on a cat nose and cat whiskers with mud. Yeah, Luke is adorable. He's he's perfect. Um, And what's incredible about this is that, you know, they're setting up the terms of the game and it's like, you know, if I win, I get to bury you alive. And Luke just sort of considers it and shrugs and go like, yeah, that, that's, that sounds fair. Um, and so Luke loses. Luke is forced to dig his own grave. 
In the first ten minutes of the movie, we have a child <laughs> digging his own grave. <laughs> it's amazing. And so they're digging it, but then they find uh, a weird glowing gem in the grave that Luke has dug for himself. It's very uh, much and... the container that Rita Repulsa was in in Power Rangers. Oh, yeah. That that little squat dumpster that, like, the lid comes off and you're free now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you think that Mimi was prepared to bury her brother alive if they had not gotten interrupted by their parents? Based off of the characterization and the way that her parents are constantly saying... Mimi, you can't beat the living shit out of your brother. You can't do that. And also, the amount of times they just say, okay, fine. When she literally says to her parents, dismissed, and sends them out of her bedroom. And they just kind of shrug and are like, whatever. So, yes, she is going to bury Luke alive. For sure. And well, and she is like if the kid who sends people out to the cornfield in the Twilight Zone didn't have superpowers, but did have the most charisma in the world. Um, There are times with her dialogue that it verges into sort of the worst parts of Juno territory with the the, the cutesy dialogue. Um, But honestly, I I buy it every time I'm like, eh, it's a little it's a little much, but sure. Cool. Uh like it's it's a lot of you know sort of fun kid speak we were introduced to an alien monster that crawls out of this grave uh and he is just a huge hoss of a, an alien monster who how would you describe the appearance of of this monster he looks like a i'm sorry a masters of the universe villain he's just muscles yeah. and a crazy like fanged head <laughs> So he's health goth, yeah. is what it is. He, yeah, he's he's out here doing like squat thrusts to KMFDM, and he is a murder machine. All he wants to do all the time is murder, and he introduces himself as the Archduke of Nightmares, which is just fantastic. So Mimi, having pulled this gem off of um, the container of this monster, is like. Nah, and we find out that that gem is the alien's power source, and now a uh, small child controls the deadliest force in the universe. Yeah, so he basically, he has to do whatever, it's like sort of John Connor and the Terminator, where it's, you have to do whatever I tell you to do, because you don't have any other choice. What's incredible to me is that, so this movie, I think, shares a lot of weird DNA with the movie Wishmaster. Um, where you've got this character who just all they want to do all day and all night is do murder and destroy the world. Um, now, what, what surprises me is that he never pulls... He Okay, he does it once, where uh, he never pulls any Wishmaster bullshit where she's like, you know, there's one bit where she's like, uh, spin my brother around, and he doesn't go, like, as you wish, and then, like, spin Luke so hard that his skin flies off and his skeleton explodes or whatever. And I he kept, just spins him around. I kept waiting for him to go as you wish and then do the worst possible iteration of her wish often enough that she's like, whatever, here's your weird fucking gem. Stop killing my friends and family. Except um, what happens is he fulfills her wishes and turns people into monsters. And she's like, rad, that rules. 
Yeah, that's what I love. Now, there's this other little kid named Alistair. Who oh, she gets has done so dirty. I'm upset with what happens to Alistair. I'm also upset about it. Uh, Alistair is just, you know, he he's unassuming. And I love that um, she Mimi has this kind of weird little kid, like, we're going to be married with this other little kid in a way that's like, you can't wriggle out of this until she decides she's bored, man. Like, she's decided that you are her crush. She doesn't want to smooch you or hold hands, but she has decided that you are her crush. Um, now, can you tell me why Psycho Goreman... No, and actually, excuse me, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. He is called Psycho Goreman because they're trying to come up with a name for him, and this is the one they land on. Yeah, they're like, we'll call him Normal. No, we'll call him uh, Princess Sparkle Pants. And they're like, ah, what about Psycho Gorman? Sure, that's what we'll call him. Yeah, yeah, just like, sure, he's Psycho Gorman. Now, what's also incredible about this is that when she stumbles upon Psycho Gorman, he's been uh, torturing and murdering the shit out of a gang of drifters who attack him. And there's one of them who uh, is like, please don't kill me. And Psycho Gorman pulls a Wishmaster and he's like, all right, great, I won't kill you, I'll keep you alive forever. And he freezes him as a kind of, like, human statue. And then Mimi looks over at him and is like, whoa, what's going on with him? And, and he's like, oh, 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 this guy's gonna suffer forever. And then she accidentally knocks him over and his body shatters. And Psycho Gorman is like, what the fuck? That was my masterpiece. And I, this moment killed me. You get the drifter's disembodied mouth on the floor going, thank you, before dying. It, does he die though? I'm pretty sure his parts are still immortal. Why? You know what? Why would I feel like he wouldn't thank her unless he knew that he'd gotten his ticket punched? That's fair. Like I, I don't think he'd thank her for like thank you for making me 17 pieces I wasn't before. Um, but so Mimi decides that like all right, you have to do whatever I tell you, and they sort of have him in this warehouse and they come and visit him. Uh, and bring him a TV, and the and entire magazines. time, <laughs> magazines full of hunks. By the way, which my I think one of the one of the bits that doesn't make any sense, but I'm in love with, is that Mimi brings the magazines to him and goes, "These are full of hunky boys." And Psycho Gorman booms like, "I do not care for hunky boys, or do I?" <laughs> which is a whole <laughs> fucking mood, honestly. <laughs> like that's the that's the queer realization is I don't care for hunky boys. Or do I? And I, so I feel that this rings very true to my lived experience. <laughs> and also because sometimes you're so hellbent on uh, making flesh sculptures of your enemies that you don't <laughs> inventory your sexuality. That's you know, that's he's been he's been really busy murdering half the universe. He hasn't had the time to go like, well, you know, if I signed up for a Tinder, like what kind of a person might I like to monogamously murder? Like he <laughs> I, 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 I've taken this to mean Psycho Gorman is defo queer, but just doesn't think about it because he's too busy committing mass murder. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> but so the effects in this movie are a fucking revelation. They're they are everything I want in practical effects. I was giggling and clapping like a giddy child. Like, it's so much practical effects. They use stop motion. They use miniatures. They, like, there's there's CG in it because it's, like, a horror movie made in the fiscal year 2020. But there's so much love pumped into these prosthetics and the gore. Like, it's just... It is, it is a, it's wonderful. Like, I, I could feel my blood pressure dropping just seeing all these great gouts of fake blood flying around. 
yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's superb. So because Psycho Gorman is the playmate to two tweens, he just keeps leaving leaving a uh, bloody wake of of twisted gnarled bodies while playing crazy ball and like pulling their wagon through the woods. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. Now, Alistair... The police show up to stop the alien invader, and he makes one into a Videodrome-esque zombie, melding his gun to his hand, and then the rest of the movie, this guy joins them as a friend and just shoots things at random. Well, he joins them as a friend against his will because his body is being, like, his his gruesome, half-melted body that constantly begs for people to kill it, but he cannot die, just keeps, like, shambling around after them with a gun fused to his hand. Um, all cops are malleable. He Now, what's incredible about him is that he uh, tries to kill himself with the gun and can't make it happen, but he's compelled by... Uh, psycho gorman to follow them around it is so upsetting and i could not stop laughing like it's so fucking funny so alistair their uh child friend oh, that sweet mimi has a truck <laughs> has a crush on uh mimi's like psycho gorman how can you make alistair stop playing video games with my brother and be you know and pay attention to me and <laughs> PG says, they call Psycho Gorman PG for short. He says, well, I do know this one spell that worked for uh, me on, and he named some random Rigel 1769 or something like that. <laughs> right. And then he turns Alistair into a, br a brain with eyes and tentacles. Yeah, it's like something from like uh, like the crawling eye or something, where it's just like sort of it's a huge brain with big eyeballs and little uh, tentacles, kind of scooching himself forward. But and I cannot stress this enough, he still has the voice of Alistair somehow, and he's just like, "Oh man, I'm a brain now," um, and he he is God's mistake. Like he cannot. The movie never explains why this had to happen. But what's incredible is that Alistair just continues his life as usual, but as a shambling uh, brain with tendrils. Uh, and he's, like, playing synthesizer in the little band that the, these kids all have together <laughs> with his little, his little flappy tendrils. And you've got Psycho Gorman on drums, who does not want to play drums, but Mimi is like, play drums, Psycho Gorman. He's like, oh, okay, and has to... I don't know. Um, the Now, the music in this movie is fantastic yes there are so many original songs that i did not know i would get from a movie called psycho gourmet yeah like so much of it is 80s sort of robert tepper like the soundtrack of cobra sort of uh, think of if the theme from orgasmo that now you're a man a man 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 song were actually done like if it were well produced and good like, it's so much of this music is throwback sort of montage music. Now, speaking of montage music, we get a makeover montage. Yes, um, where Mimi and her mom take Psycho Gorman to the mall to, to get a makeover. And they and they do the thing of him popping up and being like, uh, and them doing, no, thumbs down, eh, thumbs down. And then 
uh, yeah, 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 and, like, everybody doing thumbs up. Uh, I always pop for a makeover montage. Like, it's, it's so fucking funny. This movie is made of tropes, and it's, there's no non-tropable thing in this movie. I think what's important, though, is it is, it has no contempt for the tropes. So it's not a... Mm-hmm oh, all these things are stupid. It's, yeah, these are um, inexplicably good, so we're just going to put all of them together to make something even better. Yes. You know what it is? This is the difference to me between a thing like this and something like Kung Fury, which I don't mean to be spicy about, but I just fucking hate that thing because Kung Fury is... There's a palpable, like, we think action movies are stupid thing to it that just is, I don't know, I, I feel like the other problem with Kung Fury is that it doesn't commit to its own thing with being a throwback uh, retro action movie thing because they're adding, like, pristine CGI to it to make, like, oh, my partner who's a cop who's also a dinosaur, like, it looks, looks fucking false. It's, like, commit to an aesthetic. This movie actually, you can tell, loves everything that it's sending up. Yes. The Faustian Nonsense Network is here to help you produce your best work. We can edit, direct, draft, storyboard, and help your podcast increase its output and connect with the right audience. It doesn't even have to be a podcast. If you blue shirt, um, and he spends like most of that movie in this Alan Grant getup, and it's just fucking great with like sunglasses. I also like from a practical standpoint, it's so they don't have to do full body makeup on this actor. <laughs> Yeah, God bless. Like you're not, you know, you're not showing up to work every day wanting to do to do that. We we get a scene of them in a diner, and I, I I love that we get a bit of one of them saying the word love, and then you get Psycho Gorman going, "What is love?" And it's so fucking good. Like the the voice actor who does Psycho Gorman, um, I love him and want good things for him in his life. Yes. So let's talk about Mimi and Luke's terrible parents. Oh, wow. So their dad, Greg, uh, Greg, Greg is a piece of shit. Um, how would you describe Greg? Greg is every, again, every Gen Xer who now has children and just has no direction in his life. Yeah, he, like he's. I love that yeah. we first meet Greg and his wife Susan when <laughs> they're in the backyard and see this giant grave, and they're like, "Who's gonna fill this in?" And they're like, "Dad, you are." And then he goes to shovel and he gets a splinter. And he's like, "I'm sorry, I can't. I'm hurt," and goes inside for the rest of the movie. <laughs> it's incredible like he calls out of work for this like he was just looking for any kind of malady to be like you know what i'm not doing anything anymore um yeah and then susan you can tell is just like married to a dipshit that she doesn't like particularly um just very frustrated uh i also like that for the rest of the film greg is wearing a thumb brace like a wrist brace (laughs) (laughs) which tells me that he went to the hospital did they not like give him an x-ray or anything were they just handing out casts that day and like whatever buddy here you go here's a thumb brace uh Um, i can tell you they actually do that really i sprained my wrist in high school and they're like "Ah, it's fine but you can have one of these little splints if you want it we've got a lot of them and we've already charged your insurance (laughs) 
<laughs> so you might as well take this. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. You know what? Good for them. If, if they have it on hand, you might as well. Um, now, so we're also introduced to, I guess, the antagonists of the movie who aren't the murder machine in the Alan Grant getup, which is uh, a council of uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers villains who... Um, are big and puppety and have ridiculous voices, and they were apparently the ones who trapped Psycho Gorman inside the gem in the first place. Yes. And so they become made aware that Psycho Gorman has escaped the gem? Yeah, so they're like, oh no, the most evil being in the entire universe is on this backwoods planet. We've got to do something. And Pandora who is the main, like, warrior, is like, you know, I defeated him the first time, it's my responsibility to end this now. So then she goes to um, Earth to defeat Psycho Gorman. But also, within meeting her, she takes a human woman's DNA and, like, splatters the rest of her body to get a human form so it's, it's brutal. Like yeah. she traps this human woman in this little cube and then just splorts it and takes her DNA. Um, the, she has big yellow diamond from Steven universe energy where she's just sort of like, yes, I'm the good guy and I'm very tall. And she's just like a terrifying monster. Yeah. And she's made to be kind of like a techno bio, uh, like Valkyrie kind of. Yeah, I was yeah I was gonna go with like a sort of a Valkyrie Spartan Centurion kind of a vibe. Um, I love that so many of these are like molded prosthetic faces that look like statues that can kind of talk. It's really rad the way that the way that they do that with a lot of these people. Um, and so Pandora comes to Earth to uh, kill Psycho Gorman. Um, now at this point, uh, there's a group that's basically the group of uh, gangsters from Guardians of the Galaxy, who were Psycho Gorman's previous crew. Who, uh, what they 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 show up to kill Psycho Gorman? Yeah. So Psycho Gorman is like, my minions come rescue me, and they're like, actually, we're in charge now. We've been continuing to do what we want. Uh, you bow down to us. Look, you're even hanging out with children. And then there's the Burn. best fight in the movie. Holy shit. I mean, it's incredible because he's like, you know, he tells his former goons to kill these two kids. And they laugh at him and they're like, actually, uh, we've been having a great time since you've been locked up. Um, we've been, you know, shifting responsibilities back and forth. It's like a little democracy we have now. It's great that, you know, we haven't been worrying about you disemboweling the shit out of us. And we've decided that we, we've got a good thing going. Um, and then because Psycho Gorman told them to murder these two children, uh, Mimi, the terrifying god, <laughs> decides like, you know what? Actually, no, you were going to have us killed. So I'm just, I'm going to command you to just let these dudes kick the shit out of you. And And we get a demo reel of cool Power Ranger villain of the week villains. Yeah, everybody's trying to get their shit in. It's like a Royal Rumble and everybody's doing their signature moves on Psycho Goreman. We have a robot who is a bucket of corpses. (laughs) With yes. a big mouth. <laughs> it's incredible. We get another guy whose thing is that he just sprays Psycho Gorman with blood. Yeah, that's and the it's... bucket man. It's great. 
Yeah, and it's great because like it sort of cuts. Uh, there's like sort of serious. Oh no, he's dying! Music while he's getting this uh, Sentai beat down, and then the music cuts, and it just sort of cuts back to Luke and Mimi looking on and going, "How long is this gonna take?" Because it's just him getting splurted with blood and going, "Blah." <laughs> um, and then there eventually, which woman? Who <laughs> oh, she's has a um, like a, a shrunken head on a power staff. There is a there's another character whose weapons are infinite tombstones out of a backpack, <laughs> which is what you want, honestly. Just having an, an inexhaustible supply of tombstones you can pull out at the drop of a hat. There's a robot pirate with his, a robot Errol Flynn with robot parrot on his shoulder. Yeah, and the parrot talks, and uh, I, I feel like they were going for a Julius Caesar thing because his name is Cassius, and <laughs> all of these Sentai monsters are murdering him by committee. Uh, and eventually, you know, Mimi is like, hey, if you say you're sorry, I'll let you fight off these goons. And Psycho Gorman is like, no, fuck you, kid. And Mimi's like, do it. And he's like, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, and she, because she's the capricious... Uh, demigod of planet earth goes all right fine and just like lets him get up he massac like he he massacres these goons like when you're a kid and you're just like dreaming up like insanely graphic ways for your toys to like punch each other into space or whatever and it's that but with buckets and buckets of gore it's so satisfying Yeah, like, this movie um, satisfied the, like, monkey part of my brain that wants to see this stuff. So, Uh, it reminds me, have you seen the new Red Band trailer for Mortal Kombat? I did, yeah. What did you think of that? Uh, I'm excited because it's buck wild to me that it's 2021 and they finally are like, you know, we're going to do gore in this franchise. Well, especially the because things that made this video game franchise famous in the first place were actually going to put in the movies. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the thing with Mortal Kombat, right? Like, I uh, have you played any of the the latter day Mortal Kombat's? No, I fell off the Mortal Kombat train when I discovered Time Killers at my local <laughs> Magic Wheel skate rink and discovered oh, yeah. that there were video games more violent than Mortal Kombat. <laughs> That's what it is, honestly. I the thing is, um, I haven't played MK11 yet. I I I played a fuckload of MKX, uh, which was the the second to most recent one. And the funny thing is, you know, like they those fatalities, the ones I remembered from my youth, because I you know I'd played a, a bunch of Mortal Kombat on Sega Genesis when I was a kid, and then nothing for like decades, and then I got MKX. The thing that shocked me, and also shocked Christina, who had never really played a Mortal Kombat, those fatalities got fucking graphic um because back in the day you know sort of it would be you'd play uh you know sub-zero and you'd like freeze somebody and then punch them and they'd shatter or whatever or like you'd rip out somebody's heart and it was pixelated so you're like oh no um christina watched me playing mkx and you would get a fatality that was like you know uh, you're playing as Quan chi the evil wizard and you like hip uh you hold a sword and float it in midair and you hypnotize somebody into walking mouth first into it until they've impaled their head on it and then it like splits them in half and it's like these apparently the team behind Mortal Kombat is always like what's the craziest fatality we can think of and how do we go bigger with that and Christina was watching this and going like maybe that shithead from the NRA has a point about Mortal (laughs) Kombat rotting people's brains this is upsetting um 
And the fact that they're just now with Mortal Kombat as a movie going, what if we put gore in this is really something. But as soon as I saw Jax get his human arms ripped off and then replaced with metal arms, I was, oh, yeah. I was in on board. Oh, completely. The yeah, I'm I'm excited about it, but I'm also like Mortal Kombat Mortal Kombat Annihilation is obviously terrible and all of the clothes look ridiculous and all of the dialogue is bad. I just hope that this new Mortal Kombat doesn't take itself seriously. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I've got terrible news for you. Oh, oh no. Like so but, many of these actors, like they're trying to sell it and it's like, oh, I'm being so intense and serious about having to fight the ninja whose thing is that he's a freezy ninja. And it's like, dude, it's Mortal Kombat. Can we please? But the good news is we have uh, Psycho Goreman, which knows what side of the bread it's buttered on. It butters both sides of that bread. Like these <laughs> kill the kills. There's it is exuberant gore. It is just so cartoonish and huge, and it's such a delight to watch. So he murders the shit out of all these goons, uh, but, you know, we get the, oh no, I've been injured from my fight with these Sentai goons. And uh, at this point, we get Susan and Greg, uh, their parents, having a fight because Greg is a piece of shit. Um, who is like, yeah, I decided to take off of work because of my splinter, and actually... I also ordered a new TV and it's fancy and you're going to have to maybe take some double shifts to work for that because I am a shit bastard. And um, we also need to point out that um, the a, a warrior's death is to be eaten alive. Oh, shit. Thank you. To be eaten alive. And I... So how would you describe the thing that Psycho Goreman does to the head goon? Psycho Goreman's jaw unhinges to the ground like a fucking wolf who's just seen a sexy woman. And then he just eats, just swallows whole a person. But there's also a hose off screen with uh, blood that's just rocketed at full blast out of his mouth. This movie is a Guar concert given the budget of a feature film. Like, I immediately, that bit from Empire Records where Ethan Embry is having that dream where he's playing with Guar, and you get Dave Brocky going like, wow, you play a pretty mean guitar. It's a shame you'll have to die. And then a Muppet eats him. This is that. Like, his he unhinges his face and envelops this goon who dies horribly. And it is, it's just great. And also, my one of my favorite lines is how he looks at Mimi and Luke and is like, you shouldn't have watched that. You'll never uh, recover from that trauma. And Mimi's like, sick. That's great. <laughs> yeah, Luke is actually upset by it. Mimi was like, uh, that was the dopest thing I've ever seen in my life. So thank you for letting me watch you uh, open your face like blossom of teeth and tongues and meat. And the callback and... to that at the end of the movie where... Luke is immediately ushering everyone away. He's like, he's going to do it again. You've got to go. <laughs> Learn from my mistake. Don't watch him do the thing where he opens his face. <laughs> um, it's, it's fucking great. And so, uh, so Susan and Greg are having a fight. We get, I think, my favorite scene in the movie, somehow, in a movie full of my favorite scenes in the movie, where Greg has just had a fight with Susan, who points out to him, sorry, what exactly is it that you do around here? And he's like, ah. Uh, buffering and then it cuts to him 
sitting on the toilet, having an imagined conversation with her and being... Now, I actually felt very seen during this one line where he's like, you know what I do? I have a BA in English. So what about that? And I'm like, oh, yeah, it is like that. <laughs> like, this is, yeah, this is this, this is also me. Um, with, oh, a BA in English. But, so we get the face of Psycho Gorman, who is dying in a ditch somewhere with these children, uh, exploding in midair in a fluorescent screaming visage, like popping through the, the air and screaming like, you need to come and, coll- and find me. And then he disappears. And then uh, Greg, who's been screaming at the top of his lungs, goes like, I don't know where you are. And then he pops back in to be like, I'm on so-and-so street off off of this other street avenue. And then disappearing and him being like, I don't know where that is. And then he pops back in and he's like, so go down to the light and you're going to wait. And then there's going to be another light and you take a left and then I'm there. So come find me. And he does this. Now, that's like this movie. It's so goddamn funny. Like, it's genuinely funny. And I think that's why it works is it knows when to, um, fortunately, splatter and comedy go hand in hand because they're all about um, excess. Mm-hmm. But this movie is good about pulling back just enough in the right places so that it can then go um, with twice the force right after it. Exactly right. Like, it's, I don't know, like, it's somehow tastefully done where it, like, I never feel, I never feel like there's a joke happening that I'm like, yeah, I fucking get it. You're doing an homage to whatever, like... It does the things that it does and then always somehow quits the bit and goes to the next part before it gets annoying. I don't think I've seen a movie do it as well as this. Yeah, and the callbacks. There's a lot of callback jokes that are not annoying. Now, probably part of that is because very few films, I think, do callbacks as much as TV shows do. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, I think... uh, yeah, Family Guy killed callbacks for quite a while. <laughs> oh, for sure. Now, the, the other thing that I love about this movie is I feel like there's a knowing, like, there's there's a, a funny thing where it it's like, you know how in screenwriting uh, seminars and stuff, they'll, you know, sort of correctly tell you, like, okay, so if you introduce a thing in the first act as a theme or as a, a, a touchstone for the movie, bring it back around in the third act or, like, have it be, you know, on theme. And there are, like five of those in the movie that the movie keeps doing where it'll be somebody being like, Oh, this is love or, you know, there'll be bits that pop back up again. And they're kind of, they're ultimately kind of meant to be empty because it's nonsense, but the movie does it with so much conviction that it ends up being incredible. Yeah. So Luke and Mimi have this moment of like, sibling love and it is so uh cloyingly hallmark sweet that it actually circles back around and becomes sincere yeah yeah that's exactly what it is like this movie somehow you know it might get ripped out every five seconds but it has a fucking heart somehow so pandora shows up to earth and in a (laughs) very wonderful thing she meets mimi and luke's mom susan who's just had it and she's like why don't you become a valkyrie with me so Uh, they give the beleaguered mom power armor (laughs) 
I fucking yelled when I got to see the mom in like a Sentai suit where she's just like, you know, it's like sort of if Marge Simpson were given a gun where it's just like, I've decided that actually I'm going to fuck all of your shit up. Uh, and so she kind of deputizes the mom. Um, there's like a standoff in the car where Mimi... Uh, so the dad comes, you know, back to the house with Psycho Gorman and Mimi and Luke in the in the truck. And Pandora is waiting back at the house. And she's kind of like, all right, give me Psycho Gorman. I'm going to fucking kill him. And at this point, because the dad is like, oh, man, my wife has a point. I don't do anything around here. And I'm largely just a fucking leech. Decides to try to be a, not even a good father. He decides to try to make his daughter like him. Yeah, yeah, because let's be honest, he's, it's not a good thing to encourage your child to have a universe-ending monster <laughs> as a friend. It's not ideal. You, that's, not the, that's not the thing you want. And he, you know, sort of, they, they, they book it. Now, we get a scene that I cannot stop thinking about. Where Mimi goes to pray for Psycho Gorman and his life. Because Psycho Gorman is bleeding out after that fight with all the goons. And she goes into a room and there's a crucifix with Jesus on the wall that she's talking to. And mid-prayer, she's like, and actually, you know what? I found a new god and his name is Psycho Gorman. So you better fucking watch out, pal. And like rips the crucifix off the wall and breaks it on her knee. <laughs> Uh, watching a child curse Christ in a motion picture, I, I <laughs> did not see that coming, and it was so fucking funny. It's so great. So then uh, we get this moment where Psycho Gorman's like, if you give me the crystal back, I can actually regain my power and fight Pandora. And Mimi's like, I don't know if I'm going to do it or not. And then she's like, okay, well, if you promise that you won't kill uh my family he's like fine and greg's like what about the rest of earth and he was like oops lol what are we gonna do <laughs> eh he might murder the planet we don't know um now and of course at the very climax of the thing uh psycho gorman is trying to like cite demon law with pandora and be like you know your order has a law that says that you have to let me challenge you to a final confrontation and then whoever wins the other one dies or whatever and She's like, ugh, fine, select the terms. And then Psycho Gorman calls Mimi and is just like, you select the terms. And of course, how how else should they settle this intergalactic uh, century-spanning conflict? Crazy ball. <laughs> I love how throughout the film, Pandora being the alien, but also somehow the audience viewpoint character says, these rules don't make sense. <laughs> That's actually that's that's a running bit that I, I keep that they keep doing that is that continues to be funny is like uh, aliens hearing the rules to Crazy Ball and going like, so wait, what's a switch? I don't know what a jumping jack is, kid. You're going to have to. I don't know what that is. Um, and so she explains the rules and then Pandora's like, what the fuck are we doing? And she's like, too bad. You should have paid attention when I was telling you the rules. Anyway, go. And they play uh, they play Crazy Ball for the fate of Psycho Gorman. And Psycho Gorman and Mimi win, and Pandora just kind of decides, like, mm, actually, fuck this, and just tries to kill Psycho Gorman. Psycho Gorman, upon ripping parts of Pandora's body uh, out from the inside, constructs a sword of Pandora's own viscera, and then fights Pandora with it. Yes, they have a sword fight with a power sword versus a gut sword. <laughs> It's so fucking good. Uh, and now we, we get uh, uh, another favorite moment of the movie, 
where Pandora is swinging around with her sword and she accidentally uh, swipes Psycho Goreman's like Tiger Beat magazine and he yells, not my hunky boy. Which is <laughs> me every time. that's what gives him enough strength to hulk up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what gives him the baby face comeback is the, the hunky boys getting being collateral damage. So where do we um, want to put this on our list? <laughs> oh, Hachimachi. Before we do that, we need to point out there's a tie-in rap over the credits. Yes. <laughs> I thought this movie was already amazing. And then the credits roll and they start rapping about Psycho Gorman. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's basically the same beat and rap style as T-U-R-T-L-E Power from the 1990 Ninja Turtles movie. It's... Uh, Quincy, I just physically... I know there's got to be something about this movie that I don't like, but I cannot think of it. <laughs> like, it's just, it's, it's, for the thing it is, like, this is, uh, for a movie like this not to be annoying to me, or, it's for, you know, for me to be like, whatever, fuck you, you smug piece of shit, I like Sentai shows and, and you know, it, it, it knows that. And it somehow does a send-up of all of these things while never being snide, which is really impressive to me. Yeah, it is it is so... Um, weirdly, for being such a mean-spirited movie, it is very kind because it does not make fun of any real people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, now, we should also point out that the movie ends with Psycho Gorman like rampaging across the planet and murdering the rest of the human race but sparing this one family um it's ugh, man so looking at the list at number 56 uh we have tammy and the t-rex another splatter movie that's wonderful now here's the thing mm-hmm. tammy and the t-rex is not intentionally funny <laughs> No, no, no. I think Tammy and the T-Rex knows that it's schlock, but it's not being, like, genre-savvy, and it's not being, you know, it's not a send-up of anything. It's just, hello, it's me, a director who had access to a really bitchin' T-Rex puppet for, like, a weekend. Here's my movie with Brooke Shields. Uh, (laughs) Or, no, excuse me, not Brooke Shields. uh, Denise Richardson. I don't know I always confuse them. Um, Now, I feel like this is better than Tammy and the T-Rex. I think you're right. And I think that's partly... Uh, craft and intentionality. <laughs> oh, for sure. This is, you know, this is somebody who has probably seen Tammy and the T-Rex like a few times, forgotten about it, and become a better filmmaker. Yeah. Um, now, right it's... above that is another splatter comedy, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. But I think most people don't go into Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 remembering that it's supposed to be a comedy. That's a good point, because when you think of, you know, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which, as you know, is number one and reigning champion on our list for, I think, a couple of years now, because it's a, a what do you call it, perfect movie. But Texas Chainsaw 2, you're you're thinking of Texas Chainsaw 1, and as it unfolds, you feel like you're being told the aristocrat's joke when you didn't think you were going to, and you're like... You get Bill Mosley saying, lick my plate, dog dick. <laughs> it's, you get that, and you get... Uh, Dennis Hopper sawing through a log while an old man yells, "Oh my aching banana!" And it's <laughs> it's what it's yeah it's it's a, a goddamn experience. Uh, also, I will stand te- Texas Chainsaw Two every day of the week and twice on Sundays. It's it's wonderful. But I feel like between Texas Chainsaw Two and uh, Psycho Goreman, I want to give the edge to Texas Chainsaw Two 
purely because I feel like it was in conversation with the genre at a time where, like, nobody aside from, like, Stuart Gordon, maybe, was doing this kind of gonzo-ass horror movie in the 1980s the way Toby Hooper was with Texas Chainsaw 2. Um, That's fair. But I do want to uh, ask you, at number 52 is Scream, which is doing the same thing but in the 90s, which... And, and I feel like this might... I, I'm comfortable saying Psycho Goreman is having a conversation about the media of our youth. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. In, in the very similar way that these other movies are. Well, this is about making nostalgia into sausages and the grueling process that that takes. You're exactly right. Like, this is, hey, kiddos, did you grow up on... Uh, Masters of the Universe and Sentai shows and Monster Squad. Here's that, but also we've decided to add buckets and buckets of gore on top of it. <laughs> and it's it's I, I love force feeding people their childhoods. <laughs> like it's 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 extremely good. Now my thing is, I think Scream is better, and I think what's right below Scream at number fifty three is the original A Nightmare on Elm Street from nineteen eighty four. I. My heart's not going to let me put Psycho Goreman above the original Nightmare on Elm Street. That's fair. And and it has not had the time to uh, kind of ferment the way that Nightmare on Elm Street has. <laughs> For sure. But now my thing is right below Nightmare on Elm Street at number 54 uh, is The Haunting of Hill House Season 1, which is that Netflix show. I'm going to keep it 100 with you. The ending of that show makes me so viscerally angry because of how much it misunderstands its its own source material and its own mythology. Makes me want to give the edge to Psycho Gorman, which knows what it is throughout the movie. Yes, it it is a love letter to um, all of its disparate parts rather than and again like we've said it's sincerely a love letter to all of this pop culture weirdness instead mm-hmm. of saying like oh this is all dumb i hate it which i think right. is fascinating because the director worked on father's day which mm-hmm. is very much a let's make fun of all of these grindhouse types of movies right and and just be awful and then it's like he learned, okay, maybe we need to. <laughs> Sincerity <laughs> is the new um, irony. Yeah, yeah. Like, fuck, fuck I, I'm not interested in detached irony at this point. Now, the thing is, you're totally right. And also, the ending of The Haunting of Hill House, my, so much of that show was incredible that it's, it's almost not even fair to the show that that last episode, you know what it is? Taking... Now, and I say this as an avowed Shirley Jackson nutswinger, like, I love Shirley Jackson. Um, taking the the original uh, opening lines of The Haunting of Hell House and twisting them so that you get uh, Steve, somehow the main character of that show who's the shit worst, saying, and all who walked there walked together. And you get, like, banjo, like, Mumford-ass music coming in to be like, oh, this old house and everything's gonna be fine now, and it's like, motherfuckers, this house has been trying to eat you for ten episodes, and you're like, oh, this old house? And they just wanted to be our friend. Like, fuck out of my house. Um, so based on that versus Psycho Gorman, which, you know, actually has a heart somehow in spite of everything, while also being a a, a, a gore-soaked send-up of the things it's it's talking about, there's a sincerity there that I feel like Haunting of Hill House at the end didn't have. 
I think there's also something weirdly comforting in 2021 about seeing a movie that ends in the apocalypse and still <laughs> a family is like, everything's going to be okay. We have each other. You know what? The largest mood, actually. <laughs> it's like watching the world melt down, but you're with your family and people you care about, and you're like, ah, oh, fuck. Ah, oh, well, what are you going to do, you know? So yeah, so I feel pretty good uh, about putting at our new uh, number 54, above The Haunting of Hill House Season 1 and below A Nightmare on Elm Street 1984, is Psycho Gorman from 2020. Oh, and shout out to our friends at RLJE for providing us a review copy of this movie. It is um, streaming on demand right now. Uh, go rent this from your digital platform of choice. It is well worth the cost. Truly, like if you haven't seen Psycho Gorman, like we we've there's so much in here to talk about that we haven't talked about. Like it, it is kind of like late career Mel Brooks movie levels of there has to be a joke every minute. But it's ugh, guys, yeah. If you haven't seen it, please do yourself a favor and go go watch it. And to be frank, uh, this is an audio medium, so there's no way we can properly describe the visuals of this movie. <laughs> Oh God! Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Say what you will about podcasting; it's a it's an audio medium. Uh, Quincy, where can our listeners find us on the internet? Our listeners can find us on Instagram at Rankin Vile, on Twitter at Rankin Vilecast, and they can check yeah. out our show page on our network's website, FaustianNonsense.com. Absolutely, and also, guys, we have transcripts now. Um, which, of course, uh, for the uh, uh, hearing impaired, it's really important to have, and it took forever because, like. You know, I we, we haven't been doing that until recently, but Faustian Nonsense uh, has the uh, has the transcripts up, uh, so definitely go check that out. Side note: seeing how many filler words you use in your uh, conversation in everyday life because it's written out on a page will make you so self-conscious because now you're just thinking of all the um, you know. So I mean, I you know, it's it's a lot, but yeah. So go go check out our equivocations on FaustianNonsense.com, guys. We also have a Patreon. Uh, Full of content uh, where we talk about uh, action movies, we talk uh, we talk about uh, sleazy B movies more than we even talk about on this show. Um, and you're gonna want to go check that out at Patreon.com/RankinVile, where for the low low price of five dollars uh, thrown into our hat, you can have access to all of that. Um, we have merch available at FaustianOnsets.com. We got mugs, we got shirts, uh, just about everything you could want. But barring that, that is just about all I've got. You got anything else? Stay spooky. Later, folks.